I could not have possibly been more wrong about the Georgia Senate races. And of course, last week was one of the ugliest weeks in American political history. Hypocrisy abounds on that. We will start there on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I wonder what the Corey Truax Show sounds like when I'm in a bad mood. Well, guess what? We're about to find out. I'm just kidding. I am currently in a pretty bad mood as I sit down. And knowing that I have the ability even to not sit down right now, I could record the show at a different time, but this was the time I scheduled it, and I am nothing if not prompt and dedicated to keeping my schedule. And so what I'm going to do is grow up, be an adult, keep my temper in check, and we're going to have a meaningful time of smarter, deeper, better talk about everything right here on the Corey Act Show on WHRT. Right now, that might be 91.9, 92.9, 89.7. Two out of three ain't bad. One of those, or two out of those three, you can find us on Saturday mornings at 8.05, and I hope you will. For those that listened live last week, you heard me tell you that Georgia was going to go to both Republican candidates, and I missed it by about 40,000 votes. There were about 200,000 missing votes, 200,000 people who showed up and voted Republican and on November 3rd just didn't show up. So the votes were there to get, but they didn't show. And so now we have Democratic control of the Senate because of Kamala Harris breaking ties. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But we got to start with what was last week, something I haven't had the chance to comment on yet, at least on the show. I've done a little bit of it online, but it was ugly. And I want to start there. I, th- I think I did all of my preamble stuff, but I know I'm missing something. Oh, yes, I get to be the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood it meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. Very soon, we'll be back together in person, and our Revelation series will continue as our Pastor Doug has just... I'll tell you this, I'd, I've missed it. We've been without the Revelation series for six or seven weeks. It's so good, and I have missed it. I can't wait to get it restarted. And that's where we meet. You are welcome on Sunday mornings. I opened the teaser there at the beginning of the show saying hypocrisy abounds. Around last week's events at the Capitol and everyone's reaction to it, there's hypocrisy on every side. And so also let me give you this preamble. This is going to get uncomfortable. I don't care who you are. If you stick, if you stick with me over the next however long the show is, it'll, it'll get uncomfortable. I'm sort of sorry for that, but this is, here's all I can do. I can look at the world. I can look at people react to the world. I can open up my Bible. I can use the scripture that I've learned, and I can interpret the world around me. And then I can tell it to you in the most succinct, hopefully least dramatic ways possible. That's what I hope I can do for you. So while I say hypocrisy abounds, I I do want to start here. There should be no safe harbor. There should be no quarter given to anybody who seized, who besieged the U.S. Capitol. There's no excuse. There is total condemnation. And I want that to be really clear from the outset. Because we're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff. And if at any point you don't like what I'm saying, remember where I started. Complete and total condemnation. 
Every single person that entered the Capitol went somewhere they weren't supposed to, went into the Senate or House chambers, broke into someone's office, went where they weren't supposed to. However many of those there were, whoever broke the law that day, every single one of them should be apprehended, arrested, charged with the most serious version of the crime they could, and then tried by a jury of their peers and given the most severe punishment they could be given. What they did was egregious. What they did was immoral. What they did was unbiblical. And they should be given the harshest punishment available to us under the law. I want to start there and be unequivocal about it. Now, after giving that, the treatment I just did, here's where it's going to get uncomfortable. Hypocrisy has abounded. It's on the right. It's on the left. The reaction to what happened at the Capitol, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. I guess it doesn't surprise me. It just disappoints me. I'm confident that it's not this crowd. The little tiny little audience I have, I'm confident it's not you people that reacted this any of these ways. But let's do it. The hypocrisies that abound, that might take up, I don't know, two-thirds of the show as we look back on that week, how terrible that was, and then the reaction to it. We on the conservative political right, we, we are the people of law and order. I've never been a fan of the president. I'm, I, I'll admit, I'm glad to see him go. I'm not glad to see Joe Biden inaugurated. I'm, I'm very unhappy, a little nervous, not fearful, but very unhappy with the federal government as, as it's about to be constituted. But I will admit, I'm just glad to see that man fade off into the distance. But the position of law and order was the correct one. The position of order is a biblical idea. This is a Genesis mandate. Be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That in part is create societies, create cultures, create order out of disorder. That is part of the Genesis mandate of God as we are made in his image. When you talk about the spirit hovering over the face of the waters, there is, there's good translations here that say that whatever the matter of the universe was, it was want and waste. It was disordered, and God brought order to disorder, and we are called to do the same thing. So we are the people of law and order. We've been arguing for it for years in terms of abiding by the Constitution, being a people of the rule of law, not rule of man, not making exceptions for people who are on our side, and then some number of people currently unclear, some small number of people, relatively, go into the Capitol, breaking the law and causing disorder, and there is at least some chunk of the right that did not condemn it. I'm proud of most Republican leaders, conservative leaders, and I think of conservative leaders to be mostly media, so the Ben Shapiro's, Matt Walsh's of the world, uh, like uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, these folks, they, they stood up, did the right thing, made the condemnations. And that's an there was an hypocrisy where that didn't happen. Because this is the movement of law and order, and it behaved, or at least some subgroup of it behaved, disorderly and unlawfully. That's a hypocrisy. But I'm, I'm not going to pretend there's not hypocrisy the other direction. 
Here's what I learned this summer from the left. I learned it from Don Lemon. I learned it from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I learned it from whatever one of the Cuomos is on TV and not governor of New York. Is that Chris Cuomo? Chris Cuomo on CNN. You guys told me that rioting, looting, was totally legitimate. I should be okay with it. I should excuse it. I remember the interview done with one of those crazy people on OAN where somebody said, rioting is the language of the dispossessed. The left needs to know, you made this normal. You saw people burning down stores, burning down police stations. For that matter, take this back to Wisconsin in 2011, when after a teacher's union kerfuffle, there were people that took over the state house. They, with no order, took over the state house in Wisconsin. And you all told me, this is a legitimate form of protest. To which I say to you, no, it's not. And you know who's consistent? Me. I'm the one. It wasn't okay in Wisconsin in 2011. It wasn't okay in Kenosha or Milwaukee or Los Angeles or Portland this summer. And it wasn't okay in Washington, D.C. Because I'm consistent. You should know who started making rioting a political tool that should be accepted. I watched the media defend it all summer. I watched the left talk about it all summer as it's totally okay. As businesses were literally burned down, as property was destroyed, as government buildings, including police stations, were attacked, I watched it and watched it defended. And now I've watched all of the left turn around and condemn this. Because let's be clear what's happened on the left and a little bit on the right. You don't oppose rioting. You don't oppose destruction of property. You just oppose it when certain people do it. Some of the right showed that too. You didn't care about the rioting in in Wisconsin and Washington, uh, the state, or California. You didn't care. You thought their cause was wrong. Well, let us, a people of law, order, and consistency, condemn it every time it happens, all the way across, which you've just heard me do saying there should be no safe harbor, no quarter given to anyone on the right who ever behaves this way. And as I said in the summer, everybody who stole something from a target, everybody who burned anything down, and now everybody who broke into the Capitol and everyone who broke some glass there or broke into an office they weren't supposed to be in, stole a podium, whatever it is, every one of them on all sides should be apprehended charged with the crimes most serious that they committed, tried by a jury of their peers, convicted and punished to the fullest extent of the law. Because here I sit, and I think a lot of the listeners of this show too, here I sit in total consistency, calling evil, evil everywhere I see it. It's another hypocrisy on, on this discussion that's gotten on my, it's gotten, it's gotten to me. Because I, I, I was paying attention this summer, I was around. And one of the tropes on the left right now is if this would have been Black Lives Matter people or Antifa people, they would have been shot. Guys, I watched what happened in the summer. I watched people going into stores, taking stuff and leaving, and no one was shooting them. I saw them lighting stuff on fire, police cars on fire. I saw a mayor, can't remember what city, abandon a police station to let them burn it down, and no one was shot. 
It's this, this trope when if this would have been a certain kind of people, they would have gotten shot. That certain kind of people, those protesters took all of the summer, did a bunch of destructive things, and they weren't shot by people. There is a decision some have made to choose a side, decide that one side is the good guys, the other side is the bad guys, and then everything gets seen through that prism. I will not do that. When it comes to destruction, when it comes to rioting, it is the destruction and the rioting, it is the disorder that I'm going to call out every time. It doesn't matter who does it. The disorder should be punished. Because that's who we are. When I say we, I'm talking about a biblical worldview. We are the people of order. We are people who follows us. us uh, uh, let's go with a pattern. A pattern of bringing order from disorder. It's what we want. There's plenty of hypocrisy still to go. If you're not in the mood for it, I understand. If you're listening to the podcast, I ask you not to pause it and delete it. I ask you to come back to it when you're ready. But there's still hypocrisy to discuss about who's to blame for this and how people on the right and left blame different entities. About police and police shooting and how that is seen from right and left and how they all change their minds for a day. We're going to do all that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey True Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truex Show on WHRT. Glad to have you or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find me, Corey Truex, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I hope you will and follow along there and give out your opinions and thoughts on anything we say here. You can do that on those social media sites or you can do it at CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. I would also, for once, point you to CoreyTruex.com. CoreyTruex.com because I actually posted a blog there. I'm going to try to do that more in the new year. And in that vein, let me ask you something in, uh, let's phrase it this way. I wonder what you'd want to have written about. In particular, I think my, uh, I hate to use the word gifting because that sounds arrogant, but whatever, is I, I love packaging argumentation. And we're about to have public policy arguments about things like student loan forgiveness, raising taxes, immigration, probably some environmental policy, g- gun policy poss- possibly, and so while I do prefer to be in the theological world and write more about that, uh, I would love for, for, I guess the question is, do you think you would get use out of that? And second, what do you want written about? And if you would, just send me those topics, Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and send me those topics there. Now, back to it. What we started with is the hypocrisy around how everyone to change their mind on riots. The, the left said all summer, riots are fine. People can destroy things, and we shouldn't do anything to them. The right said we need law and order, and then they switched for a day uh, because of what happened at the Capitol, whereas I stand consistent, hope you do too, that there is not a place for that type of behavior. I want to quickly mention, I, I put out on Facebook before the show started uh, some uh, a call for questions, and I'm going to try to get to those by the end of the show. This might end up being bonus content type show where we do a little bit longer than the typical 50 minutes. Right, uh, next, next hypocrisy. There's a lot of blame going around, asking the question, who is to blame for what happened at the Capitol? And there are those on, on the left, and not just the left, that blame the president, his rhetoric for doing this. They, they blame uh, certain Republican, uh, Republican politicians or conservative media figures. That's who to blame for it. Now, I, I don't know if there's an hypocrisy 
in the other direction on this, but I, I want to point something out. I, I don't blame those people. As much as I blame the president for being a force for disorder, he is a force for, uh, for causing cantankerousness in the culture, I stand firmly on everyone being responsible for themselves. For example, there was that softball practice a few years ago before the congressional baseball game where a Bernie Sanders supporter came out and shot a bunch of Republicans. I think he shot Steve Scalise and then missed the rest of them. And when you get to his manifesto, you get to the documents he was going through, it's, it was the case that he was hearing Bernie Sanders say, Republican health care policy kills people, at least to people's death, because they don't want socialized medicine. And so he, this disturbed person, heard, oh, these people are killing people by their policies. And so therefore, there's some logic that he would follow that says, all right, now I can, I can go kill them because they're killing people. If we follow the logic being given right now by the left about who to blame, then Bernie Sanders is responsible for that shooting. But I don't hold him responsible for that shooting. The person responsible for it is the person who squeezed the trigger. If you remember back in early 2016, I think that was maybe late, late spring, early 2016, there was uh, a former military person, African-American guy, who shot a bunch of Dallas cops. I think six of them, five or six. And there was a bunch of folks on the right. Uh, I guess there is an hypocrisy here, because I do remember people on the right trying to blame President Obama, because President Obama used a bunch of anti-police language. But I don't blame President Obama for that. That's not his fault. This person is responsible for the action that he took. Then there's, there's the, the, riot, the rioting and the looting of the summer, where you had folks like, Chris Cuomo and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You had folks on the left blaming the system, blaming injustice, and that ends up being an excuse, not just a reason, but an excuse for this behavior. But I stand there and say, no, you're responsible for what you do. And then I look at the D.C. besiegers, those who seized the Capitol. You're responsible. You did what you did. You deserve the blame for what you did because people are responsible for their own Actions. I think we have to. Get, we got to get a hold of that going forward. That every individual is responsible for him or herself, and we stop doing this uh, grouping of people into categories. Okay, I think that's the hypocrisy regarding who to blame. There are folks that want to blame powerful people or those with a voice, and uh, for, for what people do. And I'm I'm not there. I'm going to stand for uh, against any voice, left or right. That does not put culpability, responsibility on the person who does the action. The people responsible for that D.C. siege are responsible for their actions. They did what they did, and every one of them should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Next hypocrisy. Police. Again, I I think I'm the consistent one here. I've been trying to get people on my side to see for years. Police are the government. The skepticism you show to the government you should also show to police because police are just that. There's a ton of good ones, but ultimately, what, what is the police function? It's necessary and good. It's biblical to have law enforcement, but they are the government. And so some skepticism and also your default position being to side with the individual over the, the state is what at least my default position is. But it is those on the right who were back the blue, again, a category. Let's back the blue, not black in, back individual officers, not examine every 
uh, interaction or conflict between an officer and a citizen, but just as a category, back to the blue. That's their thing. And then some folks, at least tangentially associated with the right, some of this is QAnon, and so it's conspiracy people, but some of them in this siege killed a cop. It's, it's hard to imagine more intense hypocrisy than spending a couple years doing the back the blue thing and then someone from your group killing a cop. Of course, it's very good that those on the right, during the siege and after, condemned all of that. But of course, that is, a, that is an hypocrisy. I see it on the left too, though. This is a group of people that's willing to, again, not see individuals, but they just see cops. All of them. One big group. They're the bad guys. Rioters are the good guys. Where they're... The, action, the, the reality is there are good protesters and good cops and bad protesters who become rioters and bad cops. There are individuals inside the groups, and we don't have to do this group thing. But that's how the left tend to be. We hate the cops. And now, out of nowhere, they really love the cops. They really think this cop that was killed needs to be mourned over, needs to be celebrated for their heroicism. C- consider... Even the way they see police, let's go with force. A woman was shot in in, in the D.C. uh, attempted insurrection. That woman was a, a military veteran who got into some crazy stuff. An absolute conspiracy theorist. Her mind, I think, got twisted by the things that she saw online. And that's who gets shot. I don't. I don't. Th- I think it's worth saying. Imagine if she weren't a white woman. Imagine if this were a different group, an Antifa group or a BLM group that invades a government building and gets shot. Do we? Do we think there would be other riots in response to her? Do we? Do we think there would be some some folks on the left, not prominent people, but media figures on the left on Twitter, sort of celebrating that she's shot, that she kind of got what she deserved. Of course there wouldn't be, because there's an hypocrisy here. For folks on the left, every time a cop shoots anybody ever, it's a horrific act. They were never justified. And then there's this one. This one, ex- this one exception. It was justified. Now here I sit, with skepticism over police force, because it is, it is the government using that force. But then just examining every given situation. And I put this woman... In the same category that I put the, the guy who got shot at that Wendy's around Atlanta. That guy who got drunk, passed out his car, fought off two cops, stole a taser. You, that guy took his life into his own hands. By his behavior, he risked his own life and it ended his life. For this woman, same thing. You have invaded the capital of the United States of America. The, the Congressional House and Senate. You have taken your life into your own hands. And so we can be consistent and just examine every given situation the same, and or we can do that broken brain thing and come up with categories and decide who the good guys and the bad guys are by categories instead of objectively looking at the events. Are riots good or bad? Are, are police shootings good or bad? Well, objectively, we actually don't know. We have to then look at the facts and see each individual case on those. This is an hypocrisy. I see. I see there on the left and how they look about and how they look at police and police shootings from this event as well. 
And on the right, it, it does seem typically, they just seem like all police shootings are justified. Give the cop every benefit of the doubt, which I'm the opposite. I'm saying give the citizen the benefit of the doubt and let's prove the other direction. But for the left, this does seem to be the first police shooting that's ever been justified. And why? Because they don't like the side she's on. And I don't either. That woman is an insane person. I've already said, everybody involved in that should be apprehended, arrested, tried, punished. There's another hypocrisy in both directions here coming out of this episode, this just dark, horrific episode of the week. And that was when Big Tech, Twitter, Facebook put a ban on the President of the United States. I think it started as a suspension and then became a ban. Admittedly, I've already said, I'm, I am just, I'm happy to see this character go. I think he's destructive. And so my instinct was, good, let's just get his, let's get this voice that causes so much rancor, let's go ahead and start filtering it uh, out where we don't have to, we don't have to be affected by it. And then, that there's a there's the capitalist in me that says Twitter and Facebook are their own companies. They get to platform and deplatform whom they want. And and out of nowhere for the left and the right has some hypocrisy here as well. But out of nowhere for the left, they believe in the autonomy of a business. They think business owners should be able to do business with whom they want. Out of nowhere, public accommodation isn't a thing. So you have public accommodation as a legal concept where if anyone wants to use your service, you have to open it to all people equally, i.e. bakers, photographers, wedding venues who don't want to be involved in homosexual weddings. And the left is all about the idea that you opened your business and therefore you must serve every single person who wants to serve it. But for big tech, they can close their doors to whomever they want and you guys are just okay with it. But then equally on the right... We are the people who say businesses should be able to run the way they want and then get upset when they ban this particular user. Admittedly, I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to struggle with how to handle Facebook and Twitter, all the, the social media sites. In that, we, I don't know. Guys, the, the regulation is, has not caught up to the technology, I guess. I have largely opposed the uh, the repeal of that section, is it 230 maybe, that says internet companies cannot be held liable for what other people say on their site. So it's an old internet law that was trying to protect websites from being culpable for what commenters say. That, that commenter is the one that went and said it, so the commenter is the one that's responsible. And so what that says of internet companies is you're not a publisher, you're not an editor. You're just a platform. You give access to that platform to everyone equally. But that is not what they're doing now. They are not giving equal access to the platform to everyone equally. And at the moment, admittedly, the people they're causing not to have access, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Like I go, well, maybe that's better. But at the same time, then I wonder, well, what are you? You're not a publisher now. You are an editor. You are choosing content and excluding content. And maybe there is some line to, to regulate them. I know that's happening on the right right now. On the right, there seems to be a movement ready and raring to go regulate big tech. I'm not all the way there, but I am wondering, well, what, what can we do? 
because this is different. We have a different, these internet companies are different than publishers. They aren't ESPN.com and not being uh, culpable for commenters. Facebook and Twitter aren't just being asked not to be held uh, accountable for what someone comments on a thread, but who they actually give access to, actually excluding people from access to their platform. And that's something altogether new. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to go ahead and take a break here and he- with this ending thought. Hypocrisy abounds. What we find for a lot of the American mind is what their side does, they can find a justification. And the other side can do the similar thing, but because they think the reasoning is faulty or wrong, they don't defend it. I think our job is to be an arbiter, an umpire in the culture, and call balls and strikes. That which is wrong is wrong, no matter who does it. That which is right is right, no matter who does it. And we don't play the petty, partisan, tribal game of defending the side with whom we agree. I want to get to your questions that were submitted when we come back. And then, of course, I was super wrong about last Tuesday in those Georgia elections, and there's consequences to what happened there. I'd love to try to get to that before we're done today. We'll get started when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Listener submissions now. If you want to submit something to the show, you can do so at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and submit those questions there. For example, Dylan on Facebook submitted this question. I would love to hear the, that what you think about the, uh, the assertion that Wednesday's attacks on the Capitol demonstrates racial bias. I think I did this a little bit earlier in the show, but to, just to be clear, I, I don't see that for the reasons I mentioned. I think it's actually really ugly that Biden and Harris came out and tried to make that case at a moment where we could use some kind of unifying language. The, they turned this really bad thing, this attempted insurrection into some kind of racial thing. It didn't have to be there because again, the evidence is in my favor throughout the summer. There were black lives matter protests. Some of them, some of them turned into riots to burn stuff, loot stuff, take stuff, destroy things, and they let them. There ended up being police forces come in. We saw some federal police going into Portland, but at large, they were just allowed to do it the same way they were, and they shouldn't have been. There should have been harsh law enforcement at the time, the same way there should have been harsh law enforcement at the Capitol. So I don't see this as evidence for racial bias. That doesn't mitigate the real racial bias that's throughout, that is throughout law enforcement. But not in this case. I don't. I don't think there is good. Uh, I don't think there's good evidence of that. Also on Facebook, submitted from Jonathan. Number one question: Will Biden be replaced by Harris, by Kamala Harris? Pray that's not the case. Can I say that? Just pray hard, fervently, consistently. No, uh, because at least he's used the language. I don't know if he's able to hold off the left, but he he has used the language of wanting to. So, and I want to say no. There, I, I know it's been a dramatic time, but most of life is not dramatic. Most of life is quite normal. And the normal thing is for presidents to finish out their term. So if he's got the greatest medical care, medical care in the world, the best people watching his back, uh, I don't think that 
Harris will replace him, although I think Harris will be the next Democratic nominee, and I think that will come in 2024 because I don't think Biden will run for second term. He's just too old. Uh, second question from him. Could it be rigged on both sides? He's asking, could the vote be rigged, the election? Not rigged. No, I don't think so. I think our election system is pretty secure. We, we have some things we could do better, especially on the mail-in voting. We introduced that without enough preparation and availability, uh, uh, enough preparation or, uh, let's go with skepticism, uh, with introducing an entirely new thing and doing it in a broad way, uh, but not rigged. Do I suspect on both sides some people try to cheat around the edges? Yeah, probably. And then from here, I'm going to go a, str- a strong no uh, and I'll tell you why, Jonathan. But here's the question from Jonathan. Could Trump himself have uh, been a plant to accomplish an agenda that only he could do? And now since they, I don't really know who the they is, needs a different agenda, they had to get someone with the beliefs who's of a certain political party. I just don't sub- subscribe to that worldview. I don't subscribe to a worldview where there is a they, that there is a ominous, sort of all-powerful, influential they that puts people in power and then removes them from power depending on what, quote, they want or need. Just don't believe it. Don't, don't think there's evidence of it. So no, um, I don't think Trump was a plant of anybody. He won an election and then he lost one. And that's, I think, the story of human history when it comes to re- republics or democracies. We happen to be a republic. So no, I don't think any of that. Also submitted to, uh, to Facebook. Let me go to Matthews. He asks, how do we combat destructive conspiracy theories in the church? So this is one that is getting to me. I don't, I don't know how big it is. Maybe 10 to 15% of regular churchgoers are really into the conspiracy theory thing, into QAnon. They're into a worldview that says the, the stuff happening up front isn't really what's happening. There is, there are, there are, uh, puppet masters behind the scenes pulling strings. I think it is biblical to know the thing happening in front of us isn't all that's happening, that there is something happening behind it, behind it, because we know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. We know that for a time, that Satan, the, the devil, whatever you prefer, has been given some dominion over the kingdoms of earth, not just the United States, but all, all of the earth and its governance. And so we know there are spiritual battles behind the things that we are seeing, uh, but there's another interpretation from some parts of the faith that just see some often unnamed force behind the stuff we see in the news. How do we respond to it? I, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's any church's job but to teach good theology. And so for example, part of what happens here is a certain reading of Revelation, the book of Revelation or the, all of that discourse in Matthew 18 or 24, wherever that is, or some certain parts of the Bible, gets people looking for stuff, looking for an antichrist, looking for a one-world government, looking for a mark of the beast. And because they are looking for those things, as is often the case with the human mind, we find them. We find the thing that we're looking for. We find the pattern that we, we, we seek. And so that's a good place to start. Just teach good theology about the Christian's role in the world and un- and help folks understand that there's that these specific things they're looking for, the Bible doesn't actually prophesy of. That's the best way to do it inside the church. And here's one we already talked about. Matthew asks, 
Shouldn't conservatives defend a private company who wants to remove a user from their platform? Isn't that the kind of freedom argued for Christian bakers? Yes. Yeah, the, the consistent thing here would be, I want the business owner to be able to do business with whom he wants, and I want big tech to be able to do business with whom he wants. Now, I will say, I need the left to do the same thing. The left needs to be consistent. If you think Twitter and Facebook should be able to not do business with Donald Trump, you need to, you need to be for the photographer, the baker, the wedding venue who doesn't want to do business for, uh, in regards to a, a gay wedding. Those, that's the consistency that needs to happen there. Uh, what else here? Um, Stephanie writes in on, the face, on Facebook and says, how about discussing Christians voting for and celebrating candidates that are extremely pro-abortion? Uh, yeah, I, I don't talk about it a ton, but I think it's a big problem. I think, I think it should be a deal breaker. I think if we, if we are, uh, I'll just say it. Yeah, I, I think Christians should see abortion just like they should have seen slavery for the entire time that it was part of the United States. It's that kind of incredible evil. Just a sadistic, satanic practice that has put to death millions. And I, actually, I find there's some group of Christians who are, because of other issues, are okay with voting for a very aggressively pro-abortion party. Not just a passively, but like this is what they want. They want more abortions. They want to have them later in the term. Like they're very aggressively pro-abortion. They are the hashtag shout your abortion. Not that it's a necessary evil, but it's a definite moral good. And I do see that as voting for people who would have looked looked at slavery as a, a moral good. Not a necessary evil, but a good thing. So to Stephanie, yeah, that's a thing I struggle with. And I, I, I want to, I sort of want to stop there because I know I, I have brothers and sisters in the faith. I believe they are believers who voted for a party, to, voted to empower a party that empow, empowers that. But I know they also don't see abortion like I do. And so that's probably where the discussion has to happen. Uh, for, for Seth, Seth asked this question. I'm going to save for another episode because it's too big and broad. But Seth, it's a great question. It's about something called theonomy and whether or not, it sounds like this, whether or not Christians should be seeking to institute biblical practice or biblical standard into the laws of the countries into which they live. I took this on in a previous episode for like 60 seconds. I think I had three of you reach out and say, hey man, you don't understand theonomy. So maybe you shouldn't talk about it. And uh, I found out I really don't understand theonomy, but it's too big of a topic to do here. So Seth, I'll come back to that. Um, Lena uh, it writes in and asks, I have several friends comparing what happened this week, so the siege of the Capitol, to the American Revolution. To me, this is starkly different, but I'm struggling with a good way to clearly explain it to them, how it's different in a way they understand. So there's a couple different ways. Number one, the American Revolution did not first want to be violent. We actually issued the document, the Declaration of Independence, to say we are separating. This is after the, uh, this is after the, I think that's after the Boston Massacre. This is after the British had already been firing on colonists. And we make a declaration. We're no longer part of the United States of America. 
excuse me, we're, we're no longer part of the British Empire. We're going to be our own set of colonies. And, therefore, the Brits had every opportunity there to not start a war. We gave the British the opportunity to just leave. Your governance here is unjust. It's immoral. You, should, you guys should leave. So we tried peaceable, uh, tried to get, get, get the right thing, get justice peaceably, and then had to respond to their aggression. For these folks, if they were, I mean, if they're in, true insurrectionists and they're trying to start a new government and overthrow the Constitution, I guess they could argue that that's what they were trying to do. But again, you've not, you've not even taken the other steps of trying to do this peaceably. You've not stepped up and said, all right, we want to start, we want to throw away the Constitution, we want to overthrow it. I'm sure they would say, we want to restore the Constitution, but you are trying to overthrow a government that exists. They haven't gone through that proper process. So that's one. American Revolution, we tried to do it peaceably. The British wouldn't let us, and so it became a war. Uh, number two, no other... The Americans came to a spot with no other court, no other king or kingdom to appeal to. We appealed all the way to King George. And King George said no and, uh, to, to our desire to break away. And again, didn't just say no, it sent, sent more troops to, to keep us in line. Whereas these folks, you, you were given opportunity, and not in the way that the American revolutionaries are given opportunity. You live in a true republic. You had an opportunity on election day, and then you had an opportunity in the courts. You had an opportunity in the state legislatures. You had two months of making a lot of claims and going to judges who decided against you. You were actually given all the justice you could be given. And even in that, on that day, some Republican senators and House members were going to make your argument even further for two hours. So those folks can't, cannot say what the American revolutionaries said. The American revolutionaries are living in a world where there's a king whose word is law. They've appealed to him and there was no, no chance. These folks had a lot of recourse. And people fought for them, fought for their recourse through every legal means. And they lost. And then you have to accept your loss. Yeah, the, accept your, your loss in an election. Let's consider that. Yeah, the American Revolution, there are no elections. There's, no ch there's literally no chance to remove King George. He is king. And so these folks who stormed the Capitol have all the different advantages over the colonists of the time. Their interests were presented. Their interests were argued for and fought for. And they lost. And what happens in the United States of America is you're supposed to then just live to fight another day. In that way, it's nothing like the American Revolution. I think that is all I would say. Um, there, there's also just the idea that the, declara the Declaration's core argument is that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, or inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Um, and so that just by nature of the, the time around there in the Enlightenment, just the nature of governance by fiat, governance by royal, was an injury to a fundamental human right. And that's not what happened here. We don't have an injury to hunt a fundamental human right. We have some folks who don't believe in an outcome, don't believe the outcome was legit, but that's not a, a violation of your human rights. And so just morally, it's not the same either.
All right, that's all for uh, submissions. Again, you can submit questions to CoreyTruxShow at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. Find me there. Also, while I'm at it, you can support the show at anchor.fm, anchor.fm, if you want to sh- uh, support the show regularly uh, financially. Let's finish here. One more political note. I promise, guys, in the coming weeks, as things normalize, we'll have less political content. Uh, But last week, I was really confident that Republicans would win both Senate seats in Georgia. They did not because a bunch of people didn't show up. Uh, I am hopeful and optimistic, confident that those folks will show up again for the right side. I do mean the, the right will show up for Republicans after the insanity of this era ebbs to the background. Those folks will show up, if nothing else, for the reason a lot of us vote. It's just because the other side is terrifying and wants to do things to us. So uh, I suspect even in two years, I believe Elijah Warnock is up again because that was a special election to fill out a term. So I have a lot of confidence he could be beaten. You know, I look at the map here coming up and recognize this is something we should recognize. The Republicans should after the Trump era. When he started, Arizona and Georgia had... Two Republican senators, each state. So four Republicans in the Senate were from Arizona and Georgia. After four years of Trump, all four of those seats switched to Democrats. I'm not saying that's all his fault. I'm saying it is partly his fault that that's the case. So in any event, so uh, the calculus I gave you about what to expect in the coming year, coming couple years for governance is now totally, it's totally wrong. Because I expected divided government. I expected Mitch McConnell to be majority leader, and he will not be. And so basically, Chuck Schumer runs the Senate, but Kamala Harris breaks the ties. I think part of what to expect is something that we've already seen, in that Joe Manchin, the West Virginia senator, has already stepped up to say he would oppose big $2,000 stimulus checks, and I'm, I'm grateful to him for that. Joe Manchin has flirted. As I've mentioned in the past with switching parties, I think he eventually will. Not this moment. In this moment, it's too significant because it would turn the, the Senate red again. So I, I don't think he wants to do that. But he will be a check and a balance in the Senate because he won't go for the crazy things. Specifically, the filibuster is the thing that he must stand strong on. Keeping the filibuster holds back all the other crazy stuff. So uh, there's some other ways to hold back a lot, a lot of the crazy stuff, but that's a big one. So what to expect might be in part, this is actually a hopeful thing. We might get out of Congress some stability in that the left's radicalism doesn't have enough votes, but they do want to do something. They want to do liberal things, if not leftist things. And that might end up being the case where someone like a Mitt Romney a moderate Republican and Joe Manchin, a moderate Democrat end up brokering a lot of stuff and it will be around the edges type of reforms, nothing radical one way or the other. Guys, I think that'd be healthy for two years. I I have some obviously big reforms, things I would love to see the country do, but we're not there. That's That's not where we have the votes. So what's the best thing that can happen? Just some moderate around the edges, type of reforms in federal government and keeping back the radicals from from happening. So here's what I expect now. I expect insane spending. We've been doing that. We've been doing insane spending throughout the Trump era. 
But for that to ramp up, there's about to be a lot of spending bills probably related to COVID-19 relief. I do expect some kind of tax increase. They might only raise taxes on the highest of incomes. That still hurts the entire economy. The entire economy is damaged by higher taxes. I think they're going to get that. So a lot of spending, a tax increase. I think the two that we that there could be a battle on are these. <laughs> One is immigration reform. Some kind of legalization for the many illegal immigrants who are here. Maybe a revival of that 2013 Gang of Eight bill that had a path to citizenship where an illegal immigrant doesn't have to go home, has to pay some fines. I could see that coming because there's actually quite a few Republican votes for that. And so it, it might be one of those bipartisan things. And depending on the shape of the bill, I don't know if I'd be for it or against it at the moment. But I think it's, if, if they're trying to find something we actually can do, immigration might be one of them with the makeup of the Senate. And then two, this is the one that I already know where I stand and will we'll fight tooth and nail on. Hope you'll fight with me. Is a public option. Adding a government option for healthcare is something I will oppose to, to my core. That that is a, a Trojan horse, or the, the guy who came up with the idea, public option on the left. He actually says, "Oh, it's not a Trojan horse for socialized medicine. It's just right there. It's 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 designed to put insurance companies out of business so that everyone has to roll into government healthcare. It's just a backdoor way." to get us to a Canadian or a British or a German system. If Joe Biden has any interest in unifying the country, he won't do that. He won't pursue public option. He won't be that divisive. And I'm, I am sure there's going to be a lot of investigation, um, some ideas on big tech regulation, possibly. Uh, but the big two things to watch out for, I think immigration reform and a public option are the two things headed our way. Guys, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for submitting questions. If you have things you want to respond to or you want to submit a question, give me a Corey Truax Show at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I am hopeful that next week it'll be much more normal and we can get back to some non-political stuff. And I will be back next week with another new edition of the show. Until then, peace and love.